Welcome to North Peak Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, the Christmas season is officially underway. Uh, last weekend was uh, Christmas decorating weekend around our house. Um, and every year when it comes this time of year, it's just like, you know, the sooner it starts for my wife, the better. She would, if I keep holding her off, to at least get through Thanksgiving before we start. But man, once it's the day after Thanksgiving, stuff starts happening around our house. And I have learned the very wise thing over all these years now, 31 and a half, 32 years of marriage, I have learned one thing. Step back and let her have at it. You know, because... It's not that I'm trying to shirk responsibility. It's just like whatever I do is going to be wrong, you know, so I just go at it, you know. I only have two jobs when it comes to Christmas decorations. Two jobs. This is the only thing I have to do. Set up the tree and take care of the lights, you know, because she, do, she doesn't do trees. She, doesn't do, she does everything else but not trees and lights. So last weekend we got our tree, set it up Sunday afternoon, got that all set up. Monday's my day off, so Monday was light day. And um, I have a theory I have a theory about Christmas lights, okay? Hear me out on this. See if you don't agree. It's a conspiracy theory. This is, I don't have many conspiracy theories. I have a conspiracy theory when it comes to Christmas lights. I believe, I believe that every third strand of lights that is produced in this world, Christmas lights, that every third strand is purposely fully designed to not work. <laughs> That's, not, and not the first year, because if it didn't work the first year, then you could just exchange it and get a new it's designed on purpose to fail the second year. And here's how, here's how I know this. Because we used to do color lights. You know, we used to put the color lights on. And it takes like four or five strands of lights to do our house. We got the lower roof eaves and then the upper floor eaves, you know. So it takes at least two to do just the downstairs part. And, and what happened is we used to do color lights. But what I found out is when I started doing the downstairs, you know, at least one strand of lights was burned out. And it's like every third strand. And then, of course, when you go back and you have to replace that third strand, here's the conspiracy. Last year's colors are not the same as this year's colors. Am I right? Is that not true? So I thought, okay, I'm going to beat them all. Last year, I said, we're going all white lights. No more of this messing around with color. We just chuck all the colored lights. We're going all white lights. And I even, when we went out and bought, I bought an extra strand just in case. Didn't even use it. Stayed in the box. But I said, that's my backup for next year because I know what's coming, right? So Monday, sure enough, get out the lights, start putting them together, pick up the first strand. I checked it first, plugged it in. Yeah, it works. Pulled it up, you know. Got the second strand, checked that. Okay, both those work. I got enough to do the downstairs. So I started stringing them out. And again, I figured this out. Plugged in already, already lit. I'm stringing up the lights, you know, one strand at a time. So I get the first strand done about halfway past the garage. Okay, get the second strand, plug it in, comes on, and they start blinking. (laughs) They didn't blink last year. Okay, here's the deal. I don't know how, but all of a sudden, now this strand of lights is a blinking strand. I never had blinking strands last year, so now I got to check it out. So I pull it down. I get another strand, plug it in, doesn't work. Then a third strand, fourth strand, plug it in, doesn't work. I even pulled out the box that I didn't even open last year, plugged them in, didn't work. So now I got to do, I replaced the fuses. I did all of that. Now I got to go back to the blinking pair and I got to go one bulb at a time, you know, because it's not the last one. It's not the first one. It's the one right in the middle, but you don't find that out till you go through all the lights to get to them. Finally got a second strand of lights working, hung them up there, got it all working, started to rain. So I just decided this year I'm going green. I am reducing my carbon footprint, just doing my part, you know. 
Anybody drives by my house, I just want you to know I'm not a Grinch. I'm just helping the environment this year, okay? That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. It's not that I don't like Christmas lights. I love them. I love them on other people's houses. I love driving around looking at every. I, my hat is off to these people who, like, do the whole nine yards. I mean, I am so impressed with you. If that's you, my hat is off to you because I love the lights. I just don't like so much putting them up. That, they bring kind of a brightness and, and, and a sense of joy in, in what otherwise would be probably the darkest, gloomiest time of the year. So I really do love the lights. Scripture tells us that Jesus came as a light to the world. And in that imagery, there is so much richness and depth to it. And, and we, we started last week looking at, at John chapter 1, at, at some of the imagery that John uses, talking about Jesus coming um, as, as the word. And, and this week, we're going to take a little bit of a look at, at the, the idea of Jesus being the light and, and what that means and how that impacts us. But what I'd like us to do this morning is to read together John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Um, I read it for you last week, but I'd like to, you know, just so it doesn't become stale, um, I'd like to have you join with me this morning. So I've got them printed out. They're in your, in your bulletin. Um, we're also going to put them up here on the screen. I'm going to read the fine print, and I'm going to let you read the bold print parts, okay? In fact, kind of help this. Why don't you stand back up? Let's, let's all do this together. Read it with meaning. Read it with reflection. Read it with a bit of understanding as we go through this together, okay? John 1. In the beginning... Was the Word. He was with God in the beginning. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Good job. Go ahead and have a seat. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. There's some real powerful imagery in that. Even as you drive around and you see the brightness of of Christmas lights and decorations, you begin to understand 
There's something about light. It's incredibly powerful stuff. And when John chooses to use this imagery to to describe what it is that God is doing through Jesus Christ, he's given us some very, very powerful pictures. He's talking about Jesus being the word, God's expression to us, God's word to us, so that we would know him and understand him, that he is the light, that he came to reveal and enlighten our own lives. And he came as life itself. This morning, I want to investigate this a little bit, and there's a lot to it, and and we don't have time to go through all of it, but just I want to touch on a few ideas about this. What does it mean for Jesus to be the light? What does that mean to you, to me, in, in everyday life? What difference does it make? How has his light come to bring light into my life? And I think if you follow it through, as as John teaches on this throughout the gospel and even into his writings in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, this imagery of light keeps coming through him. And part of it has to do with this idea of guidance. That that part of the idea of, of Christ being light is that his light is there to guide us. To guide us through the choices that we make through life. He came to give us a new outlook, a new perspective, a new, a new understanding of life itself. John put it this way, in him was life and that life was the light of all people. In other words, his light is for our benefit. He himself is light. He doesn't need any other light, but we do. We do. His light is for our benefit. He came so that we could better see our way through life. Jesus put it this way, It's recorded in John 11. Those who walk in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when people walk at night that they stumble, for they have no light. What he is simply saying is, it's much easier to see where you're going when you have light. Now, I don't think we in in North America, in, in the United States, fully appreciate that in the way that I think the people of Jesus' time would. Because we pretty much have light wherever we go. We want light, we just flip a switch. You know, we drive down the street, we got headlights. You know, we drive down the street and our headlights are out, we still got street lights. You know, we park, we got lights, we got decoration, we got lights all over the place. We, we don't fully understand what it is to be in the dark. And I didn't fully appreciate that until um, going to Uganda. And, and they don't have street lights. <laughs> And, and where we went, you know, we went, some of the places, most of the days we went, we were just going out from village to village. And you drive out to these villages, and they're like out in the middle of nowhere. And there are no street signs. There are no streets. I mean, you get maybe a half hour of paved road. You take a right turn, and you're on a goat path, nothing more. And we're driving in the back of these little vans, you know. And there's, we got goats in there, and we got, you know, mosquito nets. We're piled high, and we're just crammed in this little thing. We're putting along, and we're driving from village to village to village. And we're visiting these orphans and, and distributing these goats and these um, uh, mosquito nets and shoes for them and all this different stuff. And we would start out like it, early in the morning. We would go all day long. And this one day, we went probably the furthest that we'd ever gone. We went to this little village called Bupoto. And it is way up in the mountains. You just keep going up and up and up. And I'm thinking to myself, I hope we know our way back. (laughs) And we got to the top of this mountain. And we visited this village. And we spent some time. And actually, the kids put on a little show for us there because we were the honored guests. And then afterwards, um, the pastor invited us to have a meal with them. So we sat around. We had this. Well, it started to get late. You know, it's like 6 o'clock. We got to get out of here. So we start driving down the hill, and it's, it's getting dark. It's like a two, two three-hour drive we still have left to get back to where we were going. And we're driving down the hill, and we come to this point where the bridge now has washed out. There's been a rain. And, and we're driving down, and we get to this bridge, and there's no bridge there. Well, there's half a bridge there, but not enough for us to cross. And so we're talking about, what are we going to do? You know, can we shore the bridge back up? Can we get, well, and it's getting darker and darker and darker. By this time, the sun has gone down. 
and there's no way we're going to cross this bridge. So we got like back up the hill. And I knew we were in trouble because not even the drivers knew where they were going. And there, it is pitch dark. There is not a street light to be found anywhere. And if you come upon a village, you might find a kerosene lantern in one window or something like that. That might be all the light you have. And, I, and I'm just thinking to myself, if we ever get back, Lord, I will never do this again. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but, you know, you begin, to, you begin to understand because, and I think that's so close to Jesus' culture. When he's talking about having light and not having light, man, people can relate to that. It's not like what we would relate to these days. Well, at least you got a little bit of day, You know, you got a little bit of something. No, nothing. He said, it's really hard to know where you're going if you can't see your way. And part of this whole thing about Jesus being light is that he cares about the direction of your life. He cares about the turns that you take in life. He cares about the decisions that you make through life. It matters to him. This isn't just about some dreamy off thing in heaven, you know, way, way, way in the future. It's about everyday life. That his light is meant to guide us through life's choices. He cares about the decisions you make. In fact, he cares about the decision-making process of your life. Think about it. What is typically the things that we ask ourselves when it comes to making a choice, especially a major life choice? I mean, what are the kind of the criteria that we usually set up? Usually, it revolves around me. How much more money will I make if I do this? How much more comfortable will my life be? How much more status will I have if I do this? What will my reputation be? I mean, usually the decision-making process revolves around ourselves. Now think about that. If Joseph, given the choice that he was presented with, thought about only what would be comfortable for him, only what would make his life easier, I mean, it is presented to him that his fiancée is pregnant, and he knows he is not the father. In fact, Scripture says that Joseph was a righteous man. He wanted to do the right thing. What do you do? What's the right thing? I mean, by the letter of the law, he could have just had her stoned, and, and you know, that would have been the end of it. If he marries her, no matter what he says, all the assumption is going to be, oh, he really is the father. And all the shame and everything that's that surrounded with that. He's got a tough choice to make. What would you do in that situation? What kind of choice would you make? For most of us, if we're looking to save our own skin, if we're looking out for our own reputation and what would be comfortable, what would be easy, we would make a far different choice than what Joseph chose. But he chose to do what is right. Instead of making choices based on what's comfortable for me, what's easy for me, what benefits me, he used a whole different set of criterion. In fact... Philippians tells us Jesus made that very same deciding process. Though being in very nature God, he didn't consider that something to be held on to. But it says he emptied himself and became a man. He deliberately took a step down. And that's not the end of it. And being found in human form, it says he made himself a servant. And that's not the end of it. And being found in nature a servant, he became obedient. Obedient to death. Those are the choices of love. And they revolve around others than myself. And God cares about your decision-making process. And I want to give you this morning maybe three different set of criteria, three different questions to ask yourself in your decision-making process because they all have to do with walking in light. 
John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So maybe the first question to ask yourself in any one of these major life choices is, will this choice, will this decision move me further in step with Jesus or not? Will it take me on a different path? Because Jesus says, if you're going to follow him, you're going to walk in the light. You know, a number of years ago, kind of this wristband, you know, WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? And that was a really popular thing. And then it kind of started being making fun of, you know, and people were coming to all kinds of WW something, something, you know, and it was what would Jesus drive, you know, what would, and it just kind of, it became almost kind of a joke. But I think it's a really important question to ask myself, if I make this decision, is this in step with how Jesus would make that decision? Because if I want to walk in the light, if I want to make decisions that honor him, that follow closely in his path, then that's the question I ought to be asking myself. Here's another one you might ask yourself. It has to do with whether or not it's it's faithful to the word of God. Because Proverbs 6.23 says that these commandments are like a lamp. This teaching is like light. And the correction that comes from them will help you have life. You want to live in the light. If you want to walk in a way that is full of light, He said it ought to be consistent with God's word because his commands and his law and his instructions and his teachings are so that you would walk in the light. So a second question to ask yourself is, is this choice that I'm making, is it consistent with what I know God teaches in his word? That's a very different question than maybe you ask usually in your decision-making process. The third question, call it the fellowship question. Because John tells us if we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. So I think another really good question about making light-type choices and decisions are, will this choice deepen and enhance my personal relationships with others, or will it destroy them? There's a lot of other questions you could ask yourself, but I'm just giving you those three. To walk in the light, to find the guidance of God for the choices of your life. In fact, you can put them in three Fs. Follow faithful fellowship. Does it follow in Christ's footstep? Is it faithful to his instruction in his word? And does it pass the fellowship test? Does it deepen personal relationships or does it destroy them? Some pretty good questions to ask yourself. His light is meant to give you guidance in your life decisions. Second aspect of it has to do with your emotional state. It's his light that comes to encourage you when you're in distress, when you're going through difficulties. Because sometimes our darkness is not the darkness and confusion of life choices. Sometimes the darkness is, is a little bit deeper than that. Sometimes it's emotional. It's spiritual darkness. It might come in the form of disappointment. You know, unmet expectations, things that you would hope for that just never come about. And and we all face that. We all go through times of disappointment. Expectations that you had and somehow it didn't quite work out like you had hoped. And you're disappointed at it. Some of you might face disappointment this Christmas. There is some boy who is looking under the tree and is sure he's getting a basketball. And come Christmas morning, he's going to find out what he got was a globe. He's going to be disappointed. (laughs) I remember my very first disappointing Christmas. It was when I got my first bike. Now, you would think I would not be disappointed at a bike, except you got to understand, my parents are very practical people. They are good Scandinavians, okay? And so they knew that whatever bike they bought for Christmas was not just going to be my bike. It was also going to be the fault, because I'm the oldest in the family. It was also going to be handed down and handed down. The problem is this. My two next siblings are girls, 
So you can imagine what my parents thought, okay? You don't do that to a boy. How do you distinguish between a girl's bike and a boy's bike? It is one little, you know, 16-inch piece of bar, okay? That's all it is. But they bought me a bike with a removable bar. And it wasn't even a real bar. It was just kind of this sheet metal kind of bar. And when you rode with your friends and you jumped off the curbs, it rattled, okay? You don't do that. I don't care how practical. At Christmas, you splurge. You buy your son a boy's bike. Scarred for life, you know? My sisters were okay with it. You know, they got cool bikes. You know. Some of your disappointment is going to be greater than that. There are people here this morning that are pretty disappointed at life. You're disappointed vocationally because you thought you were on the fast track. And all of a sudden, there are other people who are passing you with promotions. There are some who are disappointed financially. Maybe you got caught up in some of these subprime loans. You're a little disappointed about where your financial state right now. Some of you, your disappointment is relational. In a relationship you thought was going somewhere and it turns out it's not. Or a divorce that you never thought you were going to have. Life is filled with disappointment. I want you to imagine for a moment Mary's disappointment. She has been told by an angel of God, the child within you is going to be the promised Messiah. He is the one that's going to save his people from their sin. And what that must have looked like in her mind's eye as she heard that proclamation and heard that promise and what she expected and what she thought. And I can guarantee you, she did not think that when she was nine months pregnant, she was going to be traveling to another town. I am sure that was not part of her plans and her hopes and her dreams. And to get to that town and find out there's no Hilton in this village. There's not even a Motel 6. And what there is, is full. There's not room for you. I imagine she was a little disappointed. Because this is not the way it was supposed to be, Lord. I mean, when you made me that promise nine months ago, this is not what I had in mind. And maybe that's the kind of disappointment you faced this morning. Or the discouragement that there's so many obstacles in your way and you're thinking, what's the use? Maybe it's a full-blown depression. There are a number of people that suffer from that. In fact, we are told, just in the United States alone, an estimated 5 to 10% of the adult population of the United States suffers from something called SAD, SAD. Seasonal Affected Disorder. And as the days get shorter and grayer and gloomier, it affects you emotionally. And it's not even anything that you have control of. You know what we have found? They have found, you know what one of the best things, one of the best cures for that is? It's called light therapy. (laughs) There is something about just spending an hour in a box filled with light. It's, It's what it is. But just spending an hour in this box and just taking in light can make a huge difference in somebody's life. And I think when, when, when Scripture says that Jesus is the light of the world, he's talking about something far, far deeper than even that. That his light is better and bigger and brighter than any darkness you might be facing this morning. The light of Christ can break through your darkness, whatever it might be. John put it this way. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. 
And in fact, some of your translations, as you read that, some of them say the light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't understand it, could not understand it. Some say could not overcome it. And it's because it's a word that has so much to it that, that it can't adequately be expressed in one way. The word, if you want to know Greek, okay, you can go home and say, hey, I know Greek now. New Testament Greek. The word is katalambano. And it literally means to take and to cast down, to throw down so that it is destroyed. And what he is saying here is that light shines so brightly that darkness has no chance against it. It does not understand it. It cannot take hold of it. It cannot throw it down and destroy it. It cannot extinguish it. That the light of Christ burns so brightly that it outshines any darkness you might experience in your life. And whatever you might be going through this morning, I want you to hear his light is greater than any darkness you might be facing. And there is a resilience that comes to our lives when we understand that. Because part of the promise of Christmas is that God is with us. And that means no matter how dark the night or how difficult the situation, you are not alone. That there is a good God who loves you and who is with you and can carry you through the darkest moments of your life. It can never, ever be extinguished. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Israel's prophets put it this way, Isaiah. And there's a typo in your, in your outline there. It's Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. The prophet Isaiah put it this way. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, he wrote that at a time in Israel's history when everything was destitute. There was no hope for the nation of Israel. There was no nation of Israel left. He says, but the light is coming. Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied about this coming light, about Jesus. He said, he comes to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace, wholeness, shalom. He has come to bring that to your life. And no matter how dark the night, there is a dawn. Psalm 30. Weeping may remain for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Whatever you might be going through, it is not the end of the story. And the promise of Jesus Christ is there is light. Life-giving light for you. And that light can encourage you no matter how dark the night might be. And there's a third aspect of this light. And it has to do with his ability to penetrate your deepest soul. That his light can penetrate the depths of your soul. And this is a light we're not quite so comfortable with. It's a light that sometimes we want to avoid. Because it's the light that exposes who we are. It's the light that exposes our motives and our attitudes. John talked about it as the true light. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It's a light that makes us uncomfortable. It's a light we would rather avoid. And the reason is this, John 3, 19. This is the verdict, that light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. It is a description of the human condition without God. Men loved darkness. There's a part of each and every one of us that would rather stand in the shadows and stand in the darkness rather than be exposed for who we really are. 
There's a darkness in our world. And it's a big thing to God. This last week, our family went into, um, went into the city. We went in to see Cirque du Soleil, kind of a holiday treat kind of a deal. And uh, my wife and I, uh, my daughter and her husband, and then her husband's um, parents, uh, so six of us. I mean, we couldn't all fit in one car, so we took two cars. And we were driving into the city, so we made sure we gave ourselves plenty of time. And the problem was that we have fast track, and um, they do not. So we got in there, and, and they were following me because we you know, they needed to know. They haven't been to the city that much, so they were following us. And so instead of going through the fast track lane, I had to get into the lane like right next to the fast track, which is a really big mistake because there's a bunch of people can't understand these people, but they actually stay in the fast track lane all the way up until the last minute and then try to cut into your lane, you know? I don't understand this, but, <laughs> but it kind of bothers me. And, and so, you know, we're, we're kind of, and our lane's not moving because we're like, the, the big decision we made, the wrong decision I made was to be in the lane next to that lane, see? So our lane's not moving because all these people are going up here and cutting in in front. And, you know, well, we got to get to somewhere on time, you know. So I'm, I'm a little frustrated with this. So my decision is, okay, they may cut in front of other people, but they're not going to cut in front of me. <laughs> so I am like, I'm within probably four to six inches of the bumper of the guy in front of me, you know. So, but they, they just keep cutting in front of us. I mean, we're not moving. So I'm just like, I'm, nobody's getting in front of me, you know. So I'm just like, and my wife is getting really nervous because like every time the, we even start to move, I'm like moving before the guy in front of me to make sure nobody even thinks about squeezing in there. And I'm going through this, and it's a long line getting to the toll booth. And, and then my wife says to me, oh, this is going to make a good sermon illustration. <laughs> there is darkness in this world, folks. There is darkness in this world. There's darkness in me. It's a little bit of darkness in all of us. And that's the truth. And a lot of times we would rather hang in the shadows, skirt along the edges of darkness, rather than be seen. But it shows itself. It shows itself all the time. Driving in traffic. Shading the truth just a little bit to make me look a little bit better. Deceit. Pride. Stubbornness. Call it what you will. There's a bit of darkness in all of us. And that darkness is a big thing to God. It's a big thing to him because it's what separates us from each other. It's what separates us really from ourselves. It's what separates us from God. And Jesus came as a light to this world to expose the darkness. And though it's uncomfortable and we don't want to see it and we'd rather avoid it because our vision of this is it's like a huge searchlight, you know, that's just spot on me. But the truth is that's not the type of light that he comes with. The type of light that he brings to us is, is like the light of an x-ray that can see beneath the surface to what's really going on. Or the light of a laser that can do pinpoint surgery without destroying everything else around it. That's the light of Christ. 
that he comes to do that kind of surgery on our hearts, that kind of surgery on our soul. It's the light that we fear and love at the same time. John wrote about it this way. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But, he says, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That his light comes to do surgery. And that if we walk around pretending we're walking in the light when we're really walking in the dark, we're only fooling ourselves. We're lying to ourselves and the truth isn't even in us. But he says, if we will admit it, if we will confess, and that's literally what the word means, to say the same thing, God shines his light in an area of my life and he says, it's a little dark in here, Ken. And I got a decision what I'm gonna do with that information right now. Oh no, God, you, you, don't, you don't wanna see that. No, it's okay, I got it under control. Or, you're right, kind of dark in here. He says, if I will do that, if I will simply own up to the truth, he says there is forgiveness, there is purification, there is renewal and restoration. He's faithful about that. That's what his light came to do. Doesn't come to destroy our lives, but to do surgery. And the good news, he goes on. Chapter 2, verse 8. Truth was shown in how Jesus lived. It is also shown in how you live. The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. He says, it's like the sunrise. Things are getting brighter and a little clearer every day. Keep walking in the light. Max Lucado wrote this. Christianity in its purest form is nothing more than seeing Jesus. Christian service in its purest form is nothing more than imitating him who we see. To see his majesty and to imitate him, that is the sum of Christianity. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to invite you this morning to step into the light. It might be that you are at a point in your life where you're facing some major life decisions and choices right now. And it's really tough to see your way through this. And you're wondering, what's the right thing to do? Walk in the light. Make those choices that are in step with Jesus, that are consistent with his word, that bring fellowship and deepen relationship. It may be that you're going through a really dark time in your life. The circumstances have so overwhelmed you and you're under so much pressure and so much stress and on top of all of it, you just feel like you are down in the basement digging holes. It's what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. That might describe you this morning. I just want you to know you can step into the light. You can take a step into the light that no matter how dark things look for you right now, that is not the end of the story. Find the encouragement that Christ brings you. And maybe, just maybe this morning, you are living in darkness, the darkness of sin, 
and the guilt and the shame that comes with it. And you know it because it's separating you from God. And maybe you didn't even realize that until this morning. But you know, it's a step I need to take. I got to own up to this stuff. And I got to confess it. And let God do his healing surgery in my soul. Wherever it is that you need to find the light of Christ this Christmas, I want you to see him. I want you to see him in your decisions. I want you to see him in the dark moments of your life. I want you to see him as a redeemer and forgiver and restorer of your life. And that in this moment of prayer, that you would make your prayer, whatever that need for you is this morning. Lord, we need your guidance because life gets confusing. And we lose our way real easy. And we make choices that we might think are in our own best interest, but they truly are not. And we need your guidance through these decisions. For some of us here, Lord, who are struggling in their souls, in their spirit, in their emotions, they are just in a very dark place right now. And I pray that they would find in you today a new joy, a new sense of meaning, a new sense that there's something better ahead and they're not alone no matter how dark it might be. And for those who have never taken a step into the light and this morning it's the very first time for them to take that step. Lord, as they own up to their own stuff and admit their sin, may they find in you the promise that you made that you are faithful that you are just and you forgive and you purify and you cleanse and make that a reality for them this morning as they ask for that. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.